You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So you see on the right side, from the year Tafresh Nun, Be'ezus Hashem, Parshas Bereshus, Tafresh Nun is 1890. The Zohar HaKadosh, quoting the Zohar, that says that the word Bereshis is a anagram of Yarei Shabbos, fear of Shabbos, and also Yarei Boshes, fear, shame. Uh, that's what the Zohar says. Uh, what does that mean? Why would the word Bereshis be the letters of the words Yarei Shabbos and Yarei Boshes? How do you know that that he means it's an anagram? He doesn't seem to say that in the word. Oh, I'm, uh, you have to know the Zohar. What the Zohar says. Yeah, the Sfasamas, um, in m- much of his writing, is going to assume that uh, you, you know the sources he's quoted. Shame. So, what does that even mean? So the Sfasamas is going to take this simple line in the Zohar and make a very, very tall tower on top of it. So get ready. The Esau, we've been taught. Why did God give us free will? So I'm going to explain this outside first and then we're going to read it again on the inside. This goes back to a um, the very, very basics of all philosophy and knowledge of Torah and the fundamental principles of uh, how things function in the world. We believe, Bamuna Shalema, that we all of us have free will. We have Bechira. This is so basic in what we believe that the Rambam felt that it shouldn't even make the 13. Belief in God makes the 13, but having free will... You can't even put it in the 13, because if you don't have choice and free will, you can't, you, you can't choose to believe. So free will is granted, and if you have any questions, it's based on a Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, HaRashus Nasuna, permission is granted. We have free will. Now, there's a debate as to how far our free will can go, and what we're able to do with our free will, but that's not what he's getting into now. But why did Hashem give us free will? So, this goes back to an even earlier question. Why did God create the world? So, there's two answers as to why God gave the world. Two answers that are, there's more than two answers, but two answers that are commonly discussed. One of those answers is the famous answer as elaborated on by the Ramchal in Derech Hashem, that God created the world because God is tov umetiv, God is good and benevolent, and you can be good even if you don't do good. But you can't be benevolent. You can't do good unless you do good. So God can be tov without the creation, but God can't be metiv to do good unto unless there's a creation. So by the attribute that Hashem chose of metiv, God said, if that's the case, then there needs to be a world. The problem is, if God just wants to be native, 
Why didn't God just create me and do everything for me that I want, give me only happiness and no trouble, and that's it. It'll be me and God. God will be the Metiv, and I will be the Mutav. Um, no, I don't know. The, the, I will be the and that's it. Right. So why didn't God? Why didn't God simply create a world where everyone is just getting, and all is good? And this is a teaching from the Zohar and from the Gemara and from other sources that God is not just Metiv. God doesn't just do good. God does the ultimate good. And the ultimate good is not simply to create a being and bestow upon them. Because that is called Nama de Kisufa. Shameful bread. That is... That is unearned. I'm good. That's not real good. The real good is when you give at least to human beings at least the illusion of doing things to earn our way. And then when we receive that reward, we feel like we earned it. And then when we accept that good, we feel good about it. And that is the ultimate good. So as it turns out, I'm going to make up numbers here, these are not uh, actual numbers, if there's 7 billion people on earth, and let's say that 1 billion of them actually do more good than bad and earn good, while 6 billion don't, even though the majority of people end up not, it not being good for them, nevertheless, it's more important that for whoever Hashem does do good to, that it should be a greater level of good than for any everyone to uniformly receive a lesser quality good. Yeah? Clear enough? Okay. It is better for a minority of people to receive a higher definition of good than for everyone to receive a lower definition of good. So, so even though by setting up a system of, of reward and punishment based on our actions, the majority of people will actually end up losing, but those that do make it will earn it, and that will be a greater level of good, and that's the real hatava of Hashem. So it, Hashem would like that He should offer all human beings the options of making choices, and all human beings should make the right choices, and then everyone will get the greater level of good which is earned good. But because that isn't going to happen, that's our choice. But at least those who do make the right choice will receive an earned good. This is why, uh, this is one of the reasons why, when the Rambam lists the different levels of tzedakah that you're supposed to do, you know, giving anonymously, and then uh, d- double-blind giving, and then um, you know, uh, all of that, and the highest, highest level is to give someone a job. Giving someone a job is emulating the way that Hashem gives us tzedakah, because to some people Hashem gives anonymously, to some people Hashem gives openly, to some people Hashem gives double-blind, allows us... But um, for those who Hashem allows us to have a job, and we work, and we actually think that we earn 
our daily bread. So that's the greatest tzedakah that Hashem does. In the same way, with the world, it's all a metaphor for um, the bigger picture, which is that we are we have a bank account up in Shemayim, and when we come to the next world and we earned it, at least we have the impression that we um, earned it, and so we feel good about it. Yes. So, uh, how about recipients of tzedakah? Have they earned it? No, no, that's, and that's shameful. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. That's not the greatest good. The greater good is to give someone a job. In fact, it's, it's said that if, let's say, somebody wants to give someone, they want to support someone, but that person is embarrassed, so even if they pretend that that person has a job, in other words, they bring them into the company and give them a job that was really being done by someone else, and I'm not, I don't really need another person, but I make this person feel like they're doing a job, so then, and that's really what it is, because Hashem doesn't need our mitzvahs. Hashem just makes it seem like um, He's giving us a job, and we're all proud. Oh, look, I did a mitzvah. Hashem owes me now. And, uh, and that's all the impression that Hashem gives us. All of that is all written in the, in the, in the books. And the Sosamis is going to assume that you're comfortable and familiar with these concepts as He moves on. So it's so what you're saying is, would it justify that Hashem really put uh, Adam out of Ganeiden so he wouldn't... Oh, well, we'll, we'll hold on to Ganeiden for now. That's no, the, he's, let's wait till he's going to go there. He's going to go there for now. Right now we're just dealing in, in theory. You know, wh- how that happens, he's going to break that down. I don't understand the assumption that we would be embarrassed if we didn't earn... I'm thinking about children who get unconditional love from their parents. They're not embarrassed. And if if we were in a world where that's what happened to everyone... I'm I'm stopping you only because the Svasamus is going to go there. Okay. He's going to go there. We're going to hold on to that. Yes. Do you not believe that if Jews do good, it brings better good to the world? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do believe that. Okay. We believe any everyone who does good brings good to the world. Okay, so going back to your one billion and seven billion, if the one billion are doing good and they're receiving reward, the six billion are getting also some good. Yeah, they'll they'll be affected in a positive way by the fact that there are people around them who are good, but ultimately their account is gonna be um um closed and they'll come to to Shemayim with a deficit, and they'll be punished eternally. Right. Okay, again, I, th- these are just the, the general points. Okay, so he says, the Isa, the holy books tell us, Why did God grant free will? Um, and again, he's being very brief and very short, that's why we have to fill in so many blanks, because one who eats what he did not earn... Vahis lehista kulebe is embarrassed to look at the face of his um, benefactor. Okay, that's a good word. Lekach midas tuvo yizbarach. Therefore, it's the attribute of God's goodness, shahadam yarviach b'maasav, that man should earn. Therefore, and I say this again, God put us in a world with the risk that we could come out in a negative, so that if we come out with a positive, it should be an earned positive, and <coughs> that will be the ultimate good. V'yesh lahaven. 
asks the Svasamis, and maybe this is a question if you've heard this concept that occurred to you before, I don't understand. Shahari kodem achet, what about other Mauritian before sin? Haya omed, shilaliyas tova rabba olam. There was no good and evil in the world. Adam Arishan was just going to live in the Garden of Eden and just receive eternal good from God. All he had to do was not mess it up. So if he doesn't mess it up, what happens? God's plan for the world fails? This is a great question. What? That's not the greatest good. God wants to do the greatest good. The whole reason why God created the world was so that there should be the ultimate good, the ultimate good being earned good, and yet God created a situation where it was unearned good, and only because Adam messes it up. Now, there's a separate question, which is, did God plan for Adam to mess it up so that you can have such a world? But he's not asking that. He's asking, what happens if Adam doesn't eat from the tree and he passes the test, and now God's plan for his creation of the world for earned good fails. Well, he earns it by keeping the one mitzvah that so he has. The, so that's what someone to say, except the Svasamis doesn't feel like not eating from the tree is enough for eternal uh, eternal good. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that answer, uh, and some say this one challenge, but when you overcome the challenge, so you have to continue to overcome the challenge, but still, when we think of eternal good based on earned actions, we don't think of you receive eternal good as long as you don't eat from the tree. He had a job. Adam had a job. God put him in the garden to work and to protect the garden. Yeah, but he's not getting rewarded based on that. He put him there, Avda Lashamra. But the good that he was receiving is just good. There's all good there. There's no bad. There's no there's no there's nothing negative about it. Even the working of the field was not a hard labor. There was no everything just grew. He had to throw seeds well, the in the ground. There was, was there. The nachash is bad. He's the he's the inciter of bad. But there's no tov and ra within man. His job is to try to convince Adam to sin. Well, therefore, Adam's reward comes from not listening to the nachash. That's true, but one time, and then forever eternal good. So, unless you're going to say that the nachash would have been there eternally, constantly fighting with him, you would think at some point the challenge would go away. But again, his question isn't on what would we do there. His question is, what if Adam overcomes the test and receives eternal good, um, how will we justify the earned reward? You don't have to say that Hashem planned for Adam to fail. You can just say Hashem knew that Adam would fail. So he knew he would fail. And if he doesn't? But he knew. So, so, now, so now we're running into the problem of God's knowledge versus our free will. But it, nevertheless, he's saying if Adam does have free will, meaning he could sin or he could not sin, which we're assuming he does, if he could not sin, then what would happen then? How would, how would we justify it? It's a very theoretical thing. It is a theoretical thing, because that's not what happened. I understand, it's even more non-theoretical, because Adam did eat. It's even more theoretical. But, but the question is, what would be otherwise? What's the difference between testing Adam, or how could Adam be tested with a choice if he doesn't have the knowledge of good and evil? Um, that's a good question. That's a whole nother subject. That's a whole nother subject. Because he has free will, but he doesn't have, um, he has knowledge of good and evil, doesn't have confusion of good and evil. This, this situation must have been of, of a high quality. I mean, it's an important thing. 
Uh, you know, it's important to some of the consequences that, that occurred from making the choice. So why wouldn't that be as significant as many other small things, many other mitzvahs? What? That, that is an why answer that I said, I said before, that's a legitimate answer which is given by many commentaries, that the test of the Eitzhadas was so difficult that it was the equivalent of a lifetime of challenges for us. However, the Yisrael doesn't accept that. He doesn't accept that as an answer. And one could say that uh, um, logic would say, don't eat from the tree can't be the same as don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. But again, that's different interpretations. Would have been that he did that original state where he has no self-awareness. Well, he's got self-awareness. He just doesn't have self-confusion. That's right. That's right. Because he had no, he had, he had no confusion. Yes. Right. So he knew of himself, but he knew himself for what he was relative to Hashem. Right. right. What would Hashem done with his Torah? He doesn't say. That's right. That's right. All this, all these questions. Okay. Achnira suggests the Sfas Emes. Here's what I think would have happened. The Be'emes Yitzira Amitios, the true creation of man. Shahayakodim Hachet, which was before sin. Mamish was with such deep connection to God. And they would not have applied being embarrassed by eating which is not of yours. Which means like this. If there is a relationship between two people, let's say husband and wife, or close friends, to the point where they are so deeply connected that they become like one, then there is no feeling of I'm receiving what's not mine, it's unearned, because we've become one entity. So you can have in a relationship that one provides and the other one doesn't, and there's no shame of not being a provider or not having earned, because we're just one entity. My left hand doesn't feel ashamed that my right hand is the one that's doing all the work, because it's one body. So says when you become one unit, there's no shame. It's when there's the rich man and the poor man, and he's giving me, I'm embarrassed of him. But I can't be embarrassed of myself. So he says that Adam, man, and God, before the sin, was so deeply connected that God and man, almost like what you're describing, that man is fulfilling the purpose of God's creation and connected so deeply in his service to Hashem that there was no shame. <laughs> because there was a oneness, which was to connect and nullified before God. And when you nullified before God, there's no shame. Now this, this concept, this is it's it's incredible the way that he's and this goes back similar to what you were saying before about when there was this relationship between parents and children. Why is there no shame? Why aren't the children embarrassed that every time they need something they have to run to their parents? And sometimes this continues even into adulthood, where where it's the 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 it, it, again whether right or wrong, however it is, there isn't that level of shame. 
which you would expect of being the recipient, the answer is because there's such a deep level of connection, at least from the child towards the parent. Um, but, 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 but there is, there is the oneness where, of course, it's my parents. And, and sometimes the parents would have to educate the children about how actually, no, you need... What's the word they use? Independence. Right? Like a kind of separation. You, to create independence so that you aren't receiving um, with a, a certain sense of entitlement, which sometimes the parents don't understand. Like, why is it that this child feels this sense of entitlement? And why aren't they saying to themselves, hey, I don't want to be a recipient? And the answer is because they've never been taught that there's a reason for them to be embarrassed. They assume that the parents are happy and overjoyed at the opportunity to continue to provide for them their children, or they haven't yet from a stranger... Or they don't think about it at all. Right, maybe. But from a stranger, they would be embarrassed to receive. Right. So it all comes from the Garden of Eden. That's what that's what the Sasamis is saying. That is that mankind, that's why children, it's a little bit of an immaturity. And I think that's what you just added to this, which is that they haven't learned it yet. They haven't thought about it. So it's an immaturity, but sometimes it's not just an immaturity, it's real. It's real when two people are so deeply connected. So sometimes when there's a, a, a break in that connection, then maybe one of the partners is embarrassed to receive from the other because they don't know. But if there really is a true sense of connection, then the giving goes without shame. You said being embarrassed from a stranger. If it's really a complete stranger, you're not embarrassed. It's so there's less, embar- there's less embarrassment. There's still shame, but there's less shame. And that's why when you... Um, it's better to give tzedakah anonymously, even if the person knows that they're receiving, but they don't know. So, for example, I can walk over to some guy in shul who I know is short a few hundred dollars. I can hand him a few hundred dollars and say, I know you're short. Um, I want you to use this. For, uh, and that's nice. That's tzedakah. You do it in front of people, and you are committing a terrible sin. But if you, in private, you just... Uh, and um, you hand it to that person. That's a nice thing to do. Now, if I could go, I know where that person's jacket is, and I can slip an envelope with the money and say, I know you need this, enjoy, that's better. Even Why? Because what's going to happen the next day when he comes to shul, and he sees you, he's going to feel awkward. So the next, if you, someone puts an envelope in his pocket, so he walks into shul, and he's still feeling awkward, because someone in this room knows I'm in trouble, and... But it's not the same, because it could be that guy, it could be this guy, it could be that guy. So in the same way, when you receive from a stranger, it doesn't have the same level of shame, but there's still that feeling of, oh, I need to receive, I need to get. Right, right, right. And that's why the Rambam writes, having a Gabai Tzedakah, a Gabai Tzedakah is basically a way of doing a double-blind, even though there's one person who knows both sides, but it's only one person, and there's less shame, and usually such people have already spilled their guts, before this Gabbai Tzedakah, so there isn't, there isn't that level of shame. Okay, yes? So, Rabbi, when the kids, they expect parents to help them because they know they are responsible for them. And that is a fact. And we have the same relationship with Hashem. He brought us to this world. So when we need something, we Hashem. <coughs> The right? Right. It's the same relationship. It's exactly like that, except that Hashem knows that we know that we want independence. 
So just like in the case of um, children, who when they reach a certain age, and we have to teach this to them, and sometimes you can teach it and shout it at them and they don't get it. Some people don't want to think about things. But our goal is to teach um, children that they do want to be independent. Hashem also wants to teach us. But just like in the case of children, some children just won't get it, and they just are expecting their parents to take care of them the rest of their life, in the same way that some people who do that to Hashem too. They don't put in the ishtablis, they don't put in the effort, and they say to Hashem, why am I not getting? So this is, it's all... Okay, so I, if it hasn't come to you yet, it should click now. Why there's so much discussion of shame in the Garden of Eden? Clothes. They are wearing clothes, they're not wearing clothes. You should now have a whole new understanding of that. Right? They're... What, Adam and Chava were what? Arumim. Arumim. Where else do you have Arumim? What? Arumim. They were, they they were naked. naked. They were unclothed. Right? Pesach Seder. Right. You say, V'at Erom V'Aryam. What does no it mean there? No mitzvahs. No mitzvahs. Adam and Chava had no clothes, but they were not embarrassed, says the Svasemes, is a metaphor, for they had no real mitzvahs, and yet they felt no shame. Amazing, amazing translation by, by the Svasemes. See, said, Rak Achar Hapirud. It's only... Once they move away from God, once they step away from God, and now they have this independence, then they start feeling shame for one second. Why do I have all this? What have I done to earn all this? And they hid. And therefore, along with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is really distance from God, comes free will, because now I need free will. So this is unbelievable. The reason why God has to create the world, is, or wants to create the world, is to do good, to be native. But it has to be the ultimate good. The ultimate good is good that I don't feel bad about. So the original plan was, man and God were going to be so deeply connected that there would be no shame. But if man does something to sever that connection, now, so to speak, the wife has done something to anger her husband, or the husband has done something to anger the wife, there's no longer that level of, of pure oneness. Now, in, there's going to be shame, and if there's going to be shame, there needs to be free will in order to create a system of actions of do's and don'ts, which results in reward and punishment, in order to alleviate the shame. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. If this is too far off track, you'll stop me. But it seems relevant. Originally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created humankind as... Uh, a single entity that was both male and female and completely joined. Right. And that, in in effect, is more like a Kaddish Baruch Hu because we, 
when we study and learn, we do learn that there are aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Keviachah are more like a female side. Ma- and masculine like than feminine. More like yeah. the female <coughs> than the male side. Now, in a certain sense, the fall here seems to arise only because the male and the female aspects were separated. And that's correct. That's correct. And this, what you're describing now is actually discussed in the holy books of how the separation between masculine and feminine, um, between Adam and Chava, between man and woman, reflects an overall division between the Vav and the Hey of Hashem's name, and the whole, all, all, this, all this is discussed. But yeah, it is a little bit beyond where we're going. That requires a whole... Okay, but the, the question is... Why did Akharish Baruch Hu suddenly change his mind? That's okay, that, but that's a separate uh, subject okay. on the on the on the on the man and woman, and that and just to give you like the concept of an answer, it has to do with whether the world is being created with din or with. Uh, originally, Hashem wanted to create the world with din, then he switched it to din and rachim. So din would have meant this androgynous human being, as opposed to. Thank uh, you. Uh, Yes. So why does God have a need to create good? I would think that he's like beyond needs. No, no, God doesn't need, but, but God wants because God is not just good, but God does good. You can't do good without someone to do good to. That's the Ramchal. We're not, uh, that's also beyond, beyond our subject. That's, that's uh, an assumed when you're beginning this first When Hashem separated uh, Allah, and Allah, when they were inside together, totally. Now he's separated. So now there's separation. This is going to set up. Right, that's what he's saying. That the separation bet- from between man and woman is actually a, a, the beginnings of the separation between man and God. Right, that's a lot to think about there. Okay, the Isa b'Medrash. Now the Medrash tells us Vayasim Shama Adam um, that he placed man there. K'dachsiv Vayasim Vayisham Adayom Azeh Uvad Biitzirizu Ayisham within this creation. I'm going to skip over that line. Pirish. When God prepared Gan Eden for man, He was prepared, there was a system that would have worked within the Garden of Eden, which would have been the oneness, which would not have involved shame. After the sin, he changed his face, and you sent him away. All the form of man was changed. There were two creations, meaning man was different. There was a different, Adam Arishon was without all the confusion of good and evil, and that system would have worked on its own, and by eating from the Garden of Eden, there's a new system in place, a new human being, a new man, with another system, and that's what he was choosing between. Is that why the ages of human beings start to decline. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they're still somewhat d- divine-ish, and slowly that uh, disappears. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now, if, you ha- if you're not blown away yet, he says, Shabbos me'en olam Every Shabbos, you get a little bit of that. The Adam before the sin. And and basically, I know I'm giving away the end here, but what do we do on Shabbos to earn money? Nothing. Nothing. Because on Shabbos, we're not really 
earning on Shabbos, we have a little bit. Now, unfortunately, most of us aren't really connected to Shabbos enough to truly enter the Garden of Eden and to be... But the Gemara tells us that, in, at least in the old days, even an Amaretz couldn't tell a lie on Shabbos. People couldn't lie. Far back, uh, 2,000 years, yeah. 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 yeah the, the days in the Gemara. The, pe- people couldn't tell a lie on Shabbos when you would ask someone about whether the proper tidings have been removed... So they would tell you, you couldn't trust them, you couldn't believe them, says the Gemara. But on Shabbos, um, um, even Amaretz can't tell a lie on Shabbos. Now, we've, we've, fallen, we've fallen past that. Yeah? But to think that, that there was at some point, because it's slowly deteriorating, as you just described, but 2,000 years ago, even the most, uh, biggest Amaretz, the most unlearned Jew, not talking about a wicked person, but a decent person who isn't trusted, but uh, on Shabbos, you can't tell a lie. So that's really the rest. There's no, you're not really exercising your free will. Right, so that's because, at least as we, got, as we were closer to the Garden of Eden, on Shabbos people had less of the confusion of good and evil. So he says, that's why Shabbos is an olam haba. Shabbos is a semblance of olam haba, meaning of a world that's above all that. Zeshikasuf barcho ba'atifa. That's why the Gemara says that Hashem blessed, the Medrash says that Hashem blessed Shabbos, that on Shabbos we envelop, we wrap ourselves. And that's why you need Shabbos clothes. Because what was the Garden of Eden? The whole metaphor. The whole metaphor of clothes, that they were naked, they didn't have clothes. No, it wasn't clothes. The clothes represented, they didn't have mitzvahs. And yet they weren't embarrassed. But then when they sinned, they all of a sudden they needed clothes because they were ashamed. So on Shabbos, we put on clothes, special Shabbos clothes, special clean clothes, representing the fact that we are now in a higher state of existence. That's why the Mekubalim, we are only white on Shabbos. Because um, white represents the purity because what we are doing when we put on the Shabbos clothes is we are preparing ourselves to be in a Gan Eden kind of living rather than an Olam Hazeh kind of living. Shall we get fast on Yom Kippur? Yeah, well, that, then, then we're like angels. Because every time we study Torah, we do mitzvahs. Ramach HaShasa, 248, 365. We bring down a little bit of light from the internal spirituality. We bring down a little bit of Gan Eden, but we can't feel it throughout the week. I don't understand what you just right now you said that uh, Shabbat is like a little bit of the uh, Adam before the head. Right. So before the head, they did not have no clothing. So why we need a special... No, because we're not fully on that level. If we were fully on the level, we wouldn't need clothes on Shabbos. But we're not there, so at least we wear clean clothes. Yeah, yes, yes. Lesser, For sure, because we're still doing our various on Shabbos. Right? We're not in a world where we have no, no, no Yetzirah. So, so if clothing is mitzvah, the mitzvah of Shabbos itself, the, the sort That's a nice spread. That's a nice spread. Right? Well, clothing is also tied up with shame. Right? Yeah, well, that, that's all, all part of it. So he says, Ubishabbos Kodesh, Yesh Ha'ara La'adam Yitzura Apnimias, on Shabbos, you have an illumination from the internal image. You're in the Shami Yisera, that's the extra soul of Shabbos. Hayuredes Megan Eden Yisrael, your extra soul on Shabbos is your Gan Eden 
soul. It's a little piece of your Ganeidan existence that's coming down within you. It's not fully there. But you yomad and nishmasin, Shabbos is the day of the soul, v'lav de guf and not the body, k'tachsiv b'zorah kaddish. Kirshan eshamo goveres al guf, because Shabbos, at least it's supposed to be, that your soul is overpowering the body, b'shabbos kaddish. K'mash amur chazal, as I was saying, just say, e'n doma ma'or panam shaladam b'shabbos, yimos achol, the light of a person's face is different on Shabbos than during the week. L'chem b'shabbos nikra matana. That's why Shabbos is called a gift. You look throughout those mirrors, Shabbos is a gift, because everything we receive on Shabbos is gift, because we, feel, we don't feel that same level of shame. Right? So during the six days of the week, throughout the, the, the six days of the week, we have to fix, we have to, we have to correct, we have to purify, notice the word borer, we have to sort, we have to, this is right, this is, on Shabbos we don't do the 39 malachas, we don't create, we don't fix, we just sit in Gan Eden, and some of you may have got this already, this is why the word Shabbos and the word Boshes, meaning shame, have the same letters. Because on Shabbos is the fixing of the boshes of the shame. With Shabbos, ain't bo boshes, canal. On Shabbos, there's less of that shame. How does the Or HaGadrus fit in with this? We're experiencing that on Shabbos? Well, he's not, he's not dealing with that. You have to figure that out separately, How, where exactly that fits into all this. Is this why, when a person says, by a hulu, the Mora says, that makes him uh, a partner in the creation because uh, by Hulu means, uh, and Hashem, meaning Hashem uh, completed, uh, this is a place where our um, connection maybe is being completed and in that sense... I, I, think that's, I, I don't know if, you, if, if it's necessarily this strat specifically, but certainly um, it could be tied into this. You have to figure out exactly what the point of the connection is. Mm-hmm. To, to specifically to this point. So he says, because on Shabbos, you have a, a oneness with Hashem, and that answers your question. It's not literally before the sin, but it's a semblance of that. Because of when Adam and Chava were not ashamed. That's why on Shabbos we could receive in gifts. Without the shame of looking back at Hashem. That's why our sages say, Hashem said to Moshe, I have a great gift in my storehouse. Because usually when you receive a gift, it's embarrassing. With Shabbos, Lokein, Shabbos doesn't have that. Shabbos is related to that place where we are connected to God. And that's why we say, Pores Sukas Shalom Aleinu. Shalom is peace. So pore sukas shalom is actually when you receive the shalom, peace, means connection and coming together. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to say this very quickly. Um, there are six parts to your neshama yisera. And most Sephardim would know this, most Ashkenazim would not, um, but there are different parts of your davening this thing, this Fardim have it in the Siddur, where you actually have in mind to receive each of the six parts of your Nesham Yisera, of the extra soul on Shabbos. So on Friday night, there's three on Friday night, three Shabbos morning, the three on Friday night are when you say Bowie um, B'Shalom, that's, uh, that's um, uh, the first part of the Nesham Yisera, and then by Baruch Hu, you receive the second part, and then when you say the words, Pore uh, Sukkah Shalom Aleinu, 
Yisrael, that's when you get the third part of your Neshama Yisrael. Says the Svazam is because Shalom, Sukkot Shalom, is the connection between Hashem and you on a higher level, which is what creates Shalom, which creates peace. That's why there's such a big deal about peace in the home on Friday night. That's why there's so many challenges to peace in the home on Friday afternoon. That's why we have the Shabbos candles, which the Gemara refers to as Shalom Bayis. That's why we have to sing Eshes Chayel. All this is interconnected to your reconnection to Hashem. Um, the, um, the Kasavach of Yasim Shem, the Kasavach of Yasim Lachash Shalom, Shechal Hatsura Roshon Shahid Beganed and Kod Machet, because you connect to who you were before the sin. Vizashikasav, that's what the Zohar means. Bereshis is Yare Boshes, who be Meachol, and Yare Shabbos. Meaning that the word Bereshis is both Yarei Boshes, fear of Hashem in the terms of the realm of shame, which over the week switches to Yarei Shabbos, a resting of that and returning to the Garden of Eden. So all the story of man is contained within the word Bereshis, meaning Yarei Boshes, Yarei Shabbos. May all of us be zochet to. Uh, even understand and feel a semblance of everything that we just read. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.